Between the Game and Life podcast. Today I have a uh, I have a guest, and this is the first time I've done this. I don't know this person at all. I don't have any connections with this person other than we were both horrible at uh, 10 years old when we first started playing basketball. And um, I found this person through a LinkedIn post um, that I guess one of the people that I follow liked it, and I was really intrigued by it because it was very similar to my story. So without further ado, I am introducing uh, – Jerrica Williams to the uh, Between the Game and Life podcast. How you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Um, there's two silly questions that I want to ask you. Um, so my my uh, first college I went to was in Wyoming. And so mm-hmm. um, it was a junior college. And I had some teammates from New Jersey, New York, all over the place. And so they would say, you know, we didn't know black people were in Kentucky. So I wanted to ask mm. you, <laughs> I wanted to ask you being in California, you know, when you hear the word Kentucky, what comes to your mind? Wildcats. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Wildcats come to mind. Uh, what else comes to mind when I think of Kentucky? You know, I went to Louisville some years ago when I first started coaching fresh out of college and I went and visited um Muhammad Ali's childhood home. Okay. And so when I think of Kentucky, I, I, I've been there. So I think I have a little more insight than some people, but I think uh, history, food, and honestly, black culture. Okay. I love that. Cause most people think that we're just people that uh, don't have shoes and we're just country bumpkins, <laughs> just roaming out here in the forest. And woods, Dang, don't so. have shoes. That's horrible. <laughs> And then my second silly question is, uh, so you've, you've been in Kentucky and so, you know, the time difference. So when you are out on the East coast with the time change, does it feel like the day is just flying by or like, are you super tired? How does that feel from someone that lives in the, in the, in the um, Western time zone to go East? Yeah, I travel East often, at least once a month. So I feel like I've adjusted. I enjoy coming back West because I gain time. Uh, so it doesn't necessarily, I feel like my body adjusts quicker than others because um, I do it so frequently. Uh, I, you know, what stands out to me the most in the time changes is how late in the day sports events start. Yeah. Like we'll have a 6 p.m. tip off and it'll be nine o'clock and the game <laughs> goes till midnight. And I'm like, how do we do that? How do you guys do this? You know, yeah. we'll have NFL games start at 10 a.m on our on our coast and you guys you know don't start until one something it's so i think that's where i see it that's where i feel it the most yeah that is that is very true because i'm a uh, lebron fan and so the lakers games Mm. coming on over here it's like at nighttime and when you have you know uh yeah when you have a career and kids and stuff i mean that's really late to stay up and watch a game so yeah i definitely uh feel what you're saying on that well, I want to start from the beginning, um, going off your post. Okay. You said you were 10 years old, but you loved the game. So yeah. tell me about that first experience with basketball. And if, um, did you have any, um, people in your family that played, you know, played the game as well? Yeah. Good question. Nope. Never had anybody play <laughs> basketball in my family. It was a, so the, how I started was in a free throw shooting contest. Actually, I was, uh, in fifth grade and, I was, I played baseball. I was a pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, I was an athlete. So I would get out there, you know, played kickball. I, you know, did push-ups, did sit-ups. Like I was just an all-around athlete, but basketball was never even a thought for me. And uh, one day at recess, one of my friends came up to me. He's like, hey, can you do this free throw shooting contest with me after school so I won't be the only girl? I was like, yeah, sure. So I go out there and I like throw the ball up and it was enough for me to make it to the quote-unquote next round. <laughs> And um, we go to this next round and it's like the regional championships or, I mean, people from all, a whole bunch of middle schools, I mean, a whole bunch of elementary schools around the city. And I make one out of 12. So there's, there's two rounds and you shoot 12 shots each round and I make one out of 12. Mm -hmm. And the girl who went after me made like seven out of 12. And I just remember her sitting next to me all confident and people cheering. And I was like, this is interesting. So then there, then my dad takes me outside. Let's just call it a halftime. And my dad takes me outside and he says, Jerrica, do you want to win? I was like, yeah, of course. He knows me better than anybody. Like, I'm like, of course I want to win. So he goes, you know, put line your foot up right here, put your elbow like this and then hold your wrist like that. And sure enough, I go back in and I made 11 out of 12. It was the craziest thing. And I remember 
looking over at the girl who I was now beating because I beat her now. And she right. was just like, like sulking in her seat. Everyone was shocked. Like what just happened? And um, I think what my dad realized for me at a young age was, was my passion for, for winning and, and being the best at, at something, regardless of what it was. Um, and he happened to know a little bit about basketball, even though he didn't play, you know, at a high level or anything. So then after that, I'm like, Oh, well, this is interesting. So I went to school and they had a, you know, somebody was walking around with a flyer for your local rec league. And I brought it home and my parents, you know, my parents would tell me today that $50 was a lot back then for us, but I really wanted to do it. And so I went and I was one of the only girls in this all male rec league. And I tried out and I was horrible. Like I remember (laughs) dribbling, trying to dribble and threw the ball over the backboard and it was just, you know, Much but everybody made it. Throws, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Good point. Good point. So everybody made a team. And so I got, luckily I got placed with a phenomenal coach who just taught the fundamentals of basketball. And that first year I go out and I did really well. I was like 10 years old and I've got most, um, most improved player. And then I realized like, Oh, I love this. I, and I wanted to work super hard at it. So I just, I was at the park every single day. It's funny on that LinkedIn post, um, one of my childhood friends commented, I don't even say friends, but a, a person who lived in my neighborhood at that time, he commented on that post and was like, Jerrica, I remember you up at the park getting shots up on your own like day and night. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're absolutely right. I was. So I just fell in love with the process at a young age. And then that next year, I won MVP of the whole league like unanimously like over dudes who are in the, in the NFL now. Right. Wow. So it's always like all my friends are like, yeah, you won MVP over us when you were like 11. So we're still holding on to that. But that was really where, that was really where it all started and uh, kind of took off from there. But when you played other sports, you also had that work ethic of just, you know, being by yourself, whether it was baseball or whatever, it seemed like you were always just like, it's like you had that drive before mm-hmm. the game of the game was introduced. Is that true? That's true. That's true. And now that I'm older and I can look back and reassess it, I come from a line, a long lineage of people who work hard. Like my grandparents, you know, were farmers, my, you know, my dad and their grandma and grandpa, like that whole side of my family from New Orleans, just everybody labored hard. Like there wasn't a time where you just took time off or you were lazy or you like everybody worked hard, no matter what the circumstances were. Yeah. Um, and so I just feel like I embody that and I was able to use that and translate that into what I was doing with sports. So even if they weren't working hard at sports, that work ethic was definitely ingrained in me um, for the, from the people who came before me for sure. Yeah. You're in your story. Um, really uh, correlates with mine because I remember when I was a kid, my first two sports was um, baseball and football. And so when it was baseball season, like I would, I would be out in the middle. So at, at, um, at my house, we had a field like in front of the house and then I, I would, you know, throw the ball up and hit it. And then I'd run and go get it, throw the ball up and hit it the opposite way. And then I, uh, I put a uh, square on the fence and I would practice my pitching. Like no one told me to do this. I would just be out there just, doing it for fun really and then there was something that was invented called a um hit away and what you did was you strapped it to the to a basketball goal and you you would hit it and then it would like wrap around the basketball goal and then swing back the other way so you'd hit it again it was a way to practice your batting um and then when it was football season I would just be out in that field still just throwing the ball up to myself like I was doing a um kickoff return and I'd Mm -hmm. practice practice this juking you know um juking nobody I, and as i think about it, i'll probably look crazy to all the neighbors because i'll just be out there just running up and down just back and forth back and forth and then when i fell in love with basketball it was the same thing so the park where i lived was it was a decent walk and um, I, I wasn't old enough to walk there by myself until i was probably like 14 but our neighbor right. had a had a nice driveway and they would let me come over to their house and just shoot whenever well when they told me that i would be at the neighbor's house at like six in the morning like doing these, you know, dribbling drills and, and spot shooting. And this is at 12 right. and 13 years old. And like, no one told me to do this. And like, as an adult, I think, I think it's funny how like some people have it and some people don't like, there's some kids, like you're a coach or some kids you have to push to get in the gym to do anything. And then there's some mm-hmm. kids, it's just like, no matter what you tell them, like they're, they're there 20 minutes early 
30 minutes late, whatever. Um, so true. And I, and if I can piggyback on that sentiment of it's what you're describing, it makes me very grateful to grow up in the generation that I grew up in. I'm not sure how old you are, but you know, I grew up before the social media era and we had to use our imagination, right? Like we had to go outside and we had to use our imagination. And so we had to use our imagination to, you know, go against defenders because that was the training that we had. You know, we, the only games that I was watching on TV were, you know, the WNBA wasn't on TV back then. So I didn't really see anybody that looked like me and did what I did unless I was watching college, which also didn't come on a lot. Um, So if I was watching the NBA, which I really wasn't, I was just outside, but I was trying to, I really had to get creative, right? I really had to get creative, but I was so grateful for what you were describing. If you wanted to get better at it, that was the only way you were going to do it. You know, the gym couldn't be open. You had to create like makeshift opportunities to work on your game. And I'm grateful. I'm really, really grateful for that. Yeah. I'll be 32 in about uh, three weeks. And then, so what, what you're saying makes me, um, yeah. Cause like, I didn't watch a lot of basketball growing up because like you had to watch the games to watch basketball. It wasn't like YouTube where you could just type in Michael Jordan right. highlights and sit there and, you know, for six hours, watch Michael Kobe, whoever you wanted to watch. Um, so I want to transition when you, when you started to be in the park by yourself, what did that self-development look like? Like, were you putting yourself through drills? I know you said you were playing, you know, one-on-one against nobody in the, um, <laughs> but um, so what did that, what did that like workouts look like for you? by yourself yeah it would either be by myself or with my dad um my dad would come up to the park with me and he would shoot with me um but I'm gonna be honest I went to the parks and I played against boys all Mm -hmm. the time I just I found people that were I I played against grown men or um like I would go to our YMCA and I would just tell my parents to drop me off at you know 8 a.m and pick me up at 8 p.m if it was in the summer (laughs) and I would just if there were people on the court I would just be playing or I would just be shooting around so there were times where I wasn't necessarily by myself um but the times that I was I just tried to emulate what I was seeing so I didn't have a ton of coaches I had my rec league coaches and then as I got older, then I had one AAU coach and then my high school coach. And that was it. I didn't have like all these trainers and stuff. I'd won once I got to high school, but even him, he wasn't really a basketball trainer. So I was, I would watch, you know, college basketball and I was like, Oh, they did this layup or they shot this shot. And I would just try to do that over and over and over again. And then the other thing that I did all the time and my dad helped me with this is shoot free throws like I shot free throws nonstop. when I was in high school I was a 92% free throw shooter and what my dad did is he made the inside of the rim smaller so he would he made this little rubber thing to go on the inside and it literally only fit the size of the basketball wow so we would shoot on that and and if I if the ball didn't go directly in then I would miss but I would shoot, I mean, probably hundreds of free throws as often as I could, but on that like makeshift hoop. Um, and so I would say probably more often than not, I was shooting free throws, <laughs> shooting free throws if I wasn't doing anything else. Where did, where did he get that idea? Man, that's a good question. I'll ask him, <laughs> uh, you know, and I see, and I see technology that does that now for yeah. shooters, like, um, you know, uh, this company Noah does that. Like we can see the, the different, diameters and stuff in which the ball falls through the net but I don't know I think that just logically he's like look in order for you to increase your accuracy then let's limit how far you can shoot out you know if you miss or if you make it um so I I don't know I think he was just being innovative and and wanted me to do well yeah that's amazing I have a five-year-old son and we were at the gym the other day and one of the goals was all the way to the ground and so we we walked over there and I was like look how big this rim is when it's right it's this low and I was like two balls can fit in here at the same time so I said to him so why do we miss and he just started smiling and stuff like that so, <laughs> um what did your what did your playing career look like as you advanced through middle and high school yeah good question uh middle school then became Uh, club basketball so played at you know my local YMCA team and I was on with my same group of girls for two years let's just call it seventh and eighth grade 
um, you know, we went to nationals and, and did all that before it was the AAU that it is now, yeah. you know, like if you were playing AAU, you were pretty good. And um, so we did that, got a lot of experience in that. And then was when I started to get, I guess, recruited for high school. Like, I don't remember this as well as my parents because I was just so locked in and just wanted to play. So I remember in middle school working out with my uh, I played on the JV team of my, the high school that I ended up going to, which isn't legal now, but it was legal then. So I was practicing with the high schoolers you know, at 12, 13 years old. Um, so then by the time I got to high school, my freshman year, I was the only freshman on varsity. Uh, the school I had been to, we hadn't won. We had never won a city championship for girls basketball ever in the history of the school. And my eighth grade year, they had made it to the championship. So my coach was a new coach. He was young, but he was building the program up. Um, and then my freshman year, you know, we were we were underdogs, like we were inner city school, like the like Hoosiers, but kind of in reverse, right? Like we're the <laughs> yeah. like we're the, the the black school was the underdogs, not the white. So we were we were the underdogs, and um, we were really small, but man, we were just gritty and we we were tough. And my high school coach, I, I really don't give him enough credit, but he brought out that mental toughness, and in, in our culture was so strong that everybody knew why they were there. We held each other accountable. He taught us the right things. He really taught us how to play. Um, he taught us how to compete and he taught us how to win. Um, and so my freshman year, we made it to the CIF championship, which is the California, uh, you know, city championship. And we won in double overtime. And I remember I was a freshman that year and I came off the bench. And once I came off the bench, you know, I didn't come out. And I was like the leading scorer of that. I ended up being the leading scorer of that game. But it was at that moment, like I won rookie of the year, my freshman year in the city of San Diego. And, you know, so the accolades were coming in. And I remember being aware of like, oh, that's the redhead girl that plays basketball. That became my identity, <laughs> right? Like I didn't know, I didn't know anybody in my high school other than my basketball teammates. Um, so it was a new, it was new ground for me. I mean, it was in my neighborhood, but I didn't really, all my neighborhood friends went to our rival school. Um, and so that became like basketball became my identity, which was, you know, made sense because I, I lived in the gym. I lived in the gym. I was a straight A student and I lived in the gym. And then moving through high school, we ended up winning. We won CIF, the, the city championship, my freshman year, sophomore year, junior year. So we three repeated. Wow. Um, and then my my senior year and I had this like full transparency, my senior year. I took a dip because I started to get distracted. I really got distracted. I got distracted by, I, I, I like forgot how I got there. And I think that I thought, because I had, um, I thought I had arrived, right? Like, yeah, cause you oh, had so much success. I mean, here. you, cause it yeah. sounds like you, you improve exponentially from 10 to, you know, that time in high school. And so, oh, and you're yeah. having success. I mean, rookie of the year, all these accolades, three peating. Yeah, I, get, I got player of the year. I got distracted right year. now hearing about it. Right. <laughs> Right. Um, I got player of the year my junior year and like and I wasn't super conscious. I think it was more of a subconscious thing because um, I don't. And even now I'm trying to remember because I tend to not people ask me about my history. And I'm like, I have to really think about it because I'm so focused on what's happening right now that I'm not like, oh, you know, my glory days back in high school. Right. Um, but also my junior year, I did. I worked. I tell my players who I coach now when I really started to jump everybody. This is what I was doing. I was waking up at 5.30 in the morning and running a mile to two miles. This was every day. And then I would go to school. And then after school, I would go to my quote-unquote trainer who wasn't really a trainer. He was, I mean, he was kind of like Mr. Miyagi. Like, it, he, this isn't like what he did for a living. He just was like, hey, I see something in you. Then at three, like right after school, I would go to him and we would shoot a thousand shots and we would do um, floorboard, floorboard pushes. He had a two-by-four piece of wood and he would wrap towels around it and i would do suicides with those pushing them across the floor on my hands oh with my, my goodness hands. We, we we did that in junior college and i thought that was the most insane thing that i had ever done like that was it made me want to throw up and i'm and i and was it, always in pretty good condition but that 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 about killed me next level and it, and it made it, it got me in the best shape of my life it got me in the best shape of my life to that point so then so we'd shoot a thousand shots we'd do the floorboard pushes and then i would go home i'll eat do my homework and then at 8 30 at night I would go back to that same coach and he would have a boys open gym and I would, I would play open gym with the boys at night. 
and then I'd wake up and I'd do it, I'd do it all over again. And, and was telling you to do it, right? Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. My parents knew where I was. They would drop me off. Or I, at that point, I think I was driving myself, honestly. And then, um, but that's when that summer, that AAU summer, that's when I leaped everybody. Mm-hmm. That's when, I, you know, I was being recruited by like UConn, Vanderbilt, Duke, like every, all the Pac-10 schools, like everybody. But that really solidified like, oh, she's different, you know? And then, so I went into my junior year with that and I won player of the year. And then going into my senior year, that's when I feel like, I don't know if I felt like, oh, maybe I don't need to do it because I've already did it or something. I have no idea the shit, but I got distracted. And so we ended up doing enough. We ended up winning, going to the to the city championship, game on the line, down one, three seconds left. I'm not really my 100% because I sprained my ankle um, the first round of the playoffs that year. And so I wasn't confident. And God, if I had to do it again, I promise you, this is like one part of my life I would redo. Like I would just redo this part. But um, but I shot the last shot and it like went in and out and we lost. And I would have been like the third girl in California state history to win four straight championships. Wow. It was just brutal. It was brutal, but it was a huge lesson for me. Um, so that that was high school. And then I ended up um, I think part of it, too, is I had committed to go to UCLA before my senior year started. Oh, yeah. uh, and, and so there may have been like, God, I would hate to even admit this. But, it, you know, I think I just I, I thought I was above everybody at that point, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, and that, that's natural to think that as a 17, 18 year old kid. I mean, we got to remember that as well. It's like, you know, you were super young at that time. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, even even when I think about the way I acted as an 18 year old and thinking how good I was I mean yeah I mean it's it's tough you know and so and so you committed to UCLA before your senior year yeah so going into my shows the end of my junior year summer so I was or like I committed in like September and then signed in November gotcha yeah um one thing that I hold on to in my life is I got distracted too but I got distracted after uh, junior college um and for some reason, like I thought I was, I, I'm a very irrational, confident person. And so I had a few little okay. low division one, you know, looks and offers. And I just thought, I mean, you couldn't tell me that I wasn't going to the league. And so I, I started mm. becoming like this. So in high school, I would separate myself from all the, you know, street people or whatever, because I didn't want them to hold me back from reaching my goal. And my goal was to play division one. But when I came back from Wyoming, I started hanging out like all times of the nights, wasn't really working out as, as tough, um, just being stupid. And then like all these opportunities just started to bypass me and I got distracted just like you did. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, and to this day, I still ask myself, like, why? And my wife always talks about, like, why do you hold on to this Division One uh, <laughs> dream? And I was like, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, you don't understand how bad I wanted it and how, like, I right. slipped through my hands. But yeah. Um, so once once you graduated high school, you know, talk about your transition to college. Yeah. Oh, so uh, I had committed to UCLA. So it came down to me my final two was St. John's in New York and uh, UCLA and full transparency. I wanted to go to St. John's. That's where I wanted to go. And it felt like the rest of the world wanted me to go to UCLA because it was, you know, UCLA. And, you know, that was where my parents were pushing for me to go. And um, it wasn't until the last hour, literally at the press conference where I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm going to say St. John's because that's where I want to go. Um, that's what I wanted to play for. UConn was in the Big East and the, the, the coach there, I wanted to play for her, but I wanted to play against the best in the country every year. That's what I wanted to do, like night in and night out. Um, but I, I looked over at my mom and my dad and I was like, I guess I'm going to UCLA. You know, like I just, I had to, <laughs> I couldn't, I, I, at 17 years old, man, I just couldn't go against my parents. Yeah. Like it just didn't feel natural. And, and we talk about it now differently than we talked about it then in ways that are from a totally different lens. And if we were able to have these open and transparent conversations, maybe it would have been different, but I don't think so. My parents for all intents and purposes. And I understand this now there is a point in life where your parents do know more of what's best for you than you do at a point in life. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, 
they did. They thought it'd be better for me to stay home. And I mean, it's UCLA and the like everything, everything, all these factors and, and even probably some that they didn't share. So I ended up going to UCLA. Um, and because I didn't want to be there, I resented being there. Yeah. So because I resented being there, I didn't work as hard. So I played my freshman year. I was a true freshman. I played in games, wasn't doing great. You know, definitely had the freshman 15, but I was still like on the floor. Um, and I was playing out of position. Like I was a shooting guard, but they had me at a point guard. So I was learning that. Yeah. Um, but, but then at the end of the year, at the end of my freshman year, I made the decision to take my power back. Right. And it wasn't, you know, it's 18 years old. Like, Oh, I'm not happy. That's come on. That's ongoing. Right. Like we can say that all the time, but I knew that I wanted to make a decision for myself. Cause that's not the decision that I feel like I made for myself coming out of high school. So I decided to transfer and this was before the transfer portal. So transferring was not, you know, looked at in a good, in a good way. Right. And um, you had to sit out a year too. I had to sit out. Yep. And so I ended up transferring to San Diego state to play for Beth Burns, who knew me. She had been watching me play since I was in the eighth grade. She knew all of my tendencies. She knew, and I wanted to do well from a basketball perspective. So at this time, UCLA, we had talent, but we weren't winning. And San Diego State actually was a better basketball school at this particular time. Um, so we went when I went to San Diego State, we ended up winning two Mountain West titles, went to the NCAA tournament twice, went to a Sweet 16. Like it was actually a very strong basketball experience, mm-hmm. but it was a very hard, <laughs> it was very hard. Like it really felt like hell. <laughs> it really felt like hell. The grass is not always greener on the other side. However, the grass is greener where you water it. Right. So I went to San Diego State and I I realized what I had done my high school years, not what I was going to repeat doing. So or my, you know, my high school experience in terms of getting distracted. So I locked in same 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 type of offseason. I was out there running miles with a weight vest on. I was training. I lost 20 pounds coming into the year. All of my coaches recognized it. I earned a starting spot going into my junior year was averaging a double double in the first four games. Wow. And then and then she benches me. And I couldn't figure out for the life of me what was happening. Cause here's and now that I'm I'm 34 now, so I'm a little more wise in, yeah. in all of those things, hopefully. And I'm like, man, you know, the conversation was or could have been we think you're going to be a, you know, spark off the bench. But in me, for me, the way I was thinking was like, I'm working so hard. I earned this position. I'm performing well. Yeah. And how I measure success is by performance and playing time. And now I'm getting that taken away from me. Then why am I working so hard? Yeah. Why am I working so hard? So my confidence was just shot. I mean, it was downhill from there. Like I just never regained my confidence and I didn't have coaches at the time and they and we've had conversations since then but I didn't have coaches at the time that were like because everyone is trying to survive and do their best right from coaches down and I needed someone to to see that I was really hurting and really be able to offer some sort of support for me specifically and what I needed at that point in time and I didn't really and I didn't I don't feel like I received that but I also wasn't mentally tough enough to push through that right so I get through San Diego state and I end up, it was like two months before my uh, senior year was over. And I've just recently started telling this story because I was embarrassed by it for a long time for some reason, but two years before my senior year ends, I walk into my coach's office and I'm like, I quit. I can't do this anymore. Like I had the the game wasn't forget fun. It was, I, I couldn't even bear it. I could not bear to come to practice every day. Like I had completely lost myself yeah. in the game, completely lost myself. And to me, that wasn't worth it. I would sacrifice anything. And I would do that again. I would do that again because I would say that I, I wouldn't do it again in the sense of maybe walking in, in and quitting. I feel like I would have had the conversation, a real conversation with the intent to maybe find a solution, not like, hey, my mind is already made up and I'm out. Yeah. Because it felt like that was the only way that I could get Jerrica back so um I ended up leaving which was you know I it, I jumped into the workforce I 
got married, had a baby, and, you know, my son is turning 11 tomorrow. So it's like time passes and things are, are great and fine. But that was how my basketball career, playing career ended. And I swear, to, I did not touch a basketball for two years. Like I hated the game. But I also know now that that is why I coach. Like I coached to be the woman I needed growing up when I was playing. Um, and so I feel like my experience and all of the trials and tribulations that came with playing in my playing days is has allowed me to become a better coach and a more holistic coach for the for the young ladies and young men now. Wow, that's a that's a crazy story. I, I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, and what I love about it is how you're how you're using that to you know shape the shape the ladies you are um, a coach now. And for me, what also sticks out is how like you're like you went from this super dedicated, you know, person, super disciplined, working super hard in high school to a point where by your senior year, like you hated the, you hated the game and didn't touch a ball. Mm -hmm. for two years after. And one thing that I also love talking about with players is how important like um, fit is with the school that, that you go to and not, and, and not just like X's, X's and O's fit, but also just like how you connect with the coaching staff. Like, for example, after I settled in to my, um, after I left junior college, I went to a um, NAI school, which I used to be super embarrassed to say I went to NAI because I wanted to be known mm -hmm. as, as a division one guy, but like mm -hmm. I had a very up and down time, you know, in my college experience too. Cause when I, when I went to junior college, I um, kind of like you, I played the two in high school went to um, junior college, I got moved to the one. And then once I went to um, NAI school, like the like the talent level is good, but the players jump, they're not as tall, right? And mm -hmm. so like, I went from playing the point guard to now, to now playing the four. And I'm like, what is this? Mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. And so me and the coach obviously didn't hit it off right then. And then like me and him are still close. And kind of what you were saying, like, they're trying to, to survive too. Like he was only 30 at the time. Well, when you're 20, you think 30 is old. And now, mm -hmm. and now it's a 30 year old. I'm understanding like the mistakes that he was trying to navigate through and all this other stuff. And also similar to you, like I had a rough sophomore year, um, started off good, got benched. I, I lost like 20 pounds before my junior year, um, had a really good preseason. And then I got some knee tendonitis, sat out for four games and I pretty much lost my, you know, lost my spot. And no matter how much I worked at the game, whether I put in extra time during classes or whatever, I never got that spot back. And um, and then I ended up having a really good senior year. But still, like, I love talking about these peaks and valleys through the game because, like, it really does shape us, like, as players. And, and, and like, we we still carry that hurt with us. Like, <laughs> like to this day, mm -hmm. I still get fired up about it because, like, and, and I think it's because as I'm – thinking through this like you're putting so much into it that you really do feel like something was taken away like you're robbed of something whether that's like your identity your accolades or whatever like does that make sense yeah yeah no I would agree I think you know as as I get older and have more of a coach's lens and a teaching lens more so from a player performance lens it's really just a vessel to shape who you are as a human being Right. Like the the story, my basketball story so embodies what life is like we all go, especially with social media. It's such a an illusion because it only shows highlight reels. Right. Like it just doesn't show the peaks and the valleys. Right. I was having this conversation with my player yesterday and she's like, man, I feel like I missed so many layups. And I'm like, well, how many did you make? You know, like we hang on to. And layups are the most missed and most made shot in the game of basketball because they're the most attempts. You know, you make the most attempts. But we ha we just we hold on to these highlights and then we beat ourselves up, expecting it to just be high all the time, and it's just not. And really, it's the quote unquote valleys, if we want to call it that. But it's the valleys that shape us to be able to to be able to go to the peaks, right? And so those are to me those are just as important to share and acknowledge and and also be okay with. Because it, for me, those are the real moments that prepare you for life and shape your identity as a, as a person, not just as a basketball player. Yeah, one story that I love sharing that I'm actually proud of myself in my junior year is that something about my junior year switch where, like I said, I, I got hurt the first you know four or five games of the year and then didn't really get that spot back. 
and the guys on the team and that was my college's best team that we had like we almost made it to nationals we were one game away and uh, mm -hmm. they started they started calling me the best 12th man in the nation <laughs> mm. and so I really took that on as like all right I understand that we have a really good team whether I'm playing or not and we have something like we we might be able to do something that no one else has ever done here before and so mm -hmm. I took it on me to be like all right if these guys can guard me in practice then they have no problem guarding whoever's whoever else is out there and so like that was the first time in my life where I actually put the team before myself and I will say like I think going through that experience has definitely helped me like all around like as a professional as a husband as a father and like because I was always one of those selfish players. Like as long as I got 30 and we lose, I really don't care. Cause I feel like I got mine. And so, like I said, that was the first time where I was like, you know what? And like, I, I remember crying after we lost in that um, regional game, because like I wanted it so bad, whether I got the glory, whether we won, like I just wanted it for the, for the team. Mm -hmm. And um, so going back to your, to your story, um, did you, did you ever have, have thoughts like that or was it all just like man man screw this program and this and this team <laughs> um I think at the very end you know when I decided to let basketball go that was a personal decision because I felt like I had been sacrificing so much for the betterment of the team since I was 10 years old you know I just so happened to be one of the more talented ones but it wasn't by accident. Like I didn't wake up just with a natural ability to play basketball. Like I worked really hard to get where I was. Um, and so I poured everything into my team. And the hardest thing to do was tell my team that I wasn't going to participate anymore. Yeah. You know, like that was the hardest part. Um, and it is, it's, it's easier said than done to buy into a role, right? It's, it's easier said than done to buy, to buy into a role on the team um, because all of our metrics are so individual, but what we remember, and I said this to my player yesterday, we don't remember the actual game. Like, sure, I'll remember missing that shot, but I couldn't even tell you what the score was. I couldn't tell you how many games we won that year. I couldn't tell you how many points I had, right? Like, I couldn't say – all I remember is who I did those things with. Yep. All I can remember is who I played those games with. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. Like, being on a team – and not even talking about like, oh, how it translates into the workforce and all of those things. But being a being a part of a team is like being a part of a family, right? And it's kind of like, who are you without your family? And so going through those trials and tribulations, it wasn't just me. I did that with people. Um, and I think that, yeah, that's something that I hold on to the most. Yeah. Um, I want to share this with you when you said uh, basketball is um, individual metrics. And tell me if this is the craziest thing that you ever heard. I love my high school coach, but my senior year, he was trying to um, he, he was trying to inspire the team to rebound better. So he would do the starting lineups based on rebounds per minute, right? Mm. So, so that means Ooh. <laughs> that means if we're blowing, I might the take team, notes. I don't know. I gotta take notes because <laughs> rebounding is important. <laughs> so if we were blowing a team out, right? And someone that plays JV comes in and he gets two, two or three rebounds in a minute that he's on the floor. He is starting the next game, no matter what. Wow. And so as you can, as you probably hear, that probably caused a lot of frustration on our team. Do you not, do you think that's crazy? I think that that makes sense <laughs> because it, to me, it's about as a head coach, have you ever been a head coach? No, I haven't. Okay, so head coach is so different than being an assistant. Like it's so it's it's so different. It's night and day, really. Yeah. And as a head coach, one of the most important things is to know what is the most important things to you and for your players to know what that is too. So if you go into practice and you're working on all of these different things, and if you walk away from practice and, and your team can't answer what the most important aspect, not even just of the day is, but of the program is. If they don't know what that is, that means you're not doing a good job. Mm. So the fact that – so if I were to ask you right now, what was the most important element to him, you would say rebounding. Yeah. So I feel like that's a great – now how that translates into games or what have you and how you guys receive that, you know, there's other variables there. But in terms of as a leader, ensuring that my team knows what's important and what's most important, yeah, that's the example – that's an example that I would for sure back because you guys know the answer now. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. Um, <laughs> so once you, once you graduated college, um, what did you do after that as you entered the professional force and how long did it, you know, take you to get to get back to the game? Yeah, good question. I jumped right into having a family. So um, I got married, got divorced. I'm sorry, got married, had a kid, got divorced within a three year span. Yeah, that's tough. So, so my experience was more based on survival. Yeah. So I went from, you know, having a full scholarship, knowing where money's coming from, all of these things. Like I was a redshirt. I could have played one more year to, oh, you know, and my parents weren't, you know, supporting me like they supported me obviously but they weren't giving me money I was on a full ride like right you have to get a job you know so and I didn't move in with my parents I kept my own place like and so I had to figure it out um and then I had to figure it out now with a a husband now with a a, a baby and then now as a single mom yeah. um and so the jobs that I had were very survival like I was volunteering in spaces that I enjoyed doing, which I would end up making a business out of, uh, which was, you know, helping professional athletes and nonprofit organizations, like bridge the gap with all of their endeavors off, off the court, you know, off the field that essentially would be, you know, as a, as a PR professional, that essentially would be what my business became into. But so I was volunteering my time doing that, but in terms of working, I was just surviving. So I worked at you know, a data entry company. I worked at a freaking, you know, a warehouse putting boxes in places. I, I worked as an admin assistant for a financial company. I worked at enterprise. Um, I worked at a fishing company. Like I was all over the place <laughs> in that regard <laughs> um, because I just needed to make ends meet. And then once I, once I decided to stop playing basketball, I actually had a semester left to finish. So I left early. So I didn't finish college. So mm. once I, had my son, I had to go back and I still had a semester to finish. So I didn't go back to school until two years later when my son was three months old. Um, my last semester of college, it was just me and him. I was, I was studying with him in my arms. I was bringing him to class sometimes. I graduated with a six month old in the, in the stands, yeah. you know? So my experience was very different after my, after I graduated from college, then, you know, I continued to, you know, work, to, you know, make sure he was in daycare and make sure he was fed and all of those things. Um, but I sort of by accident, but very purposefully found my passion in bridging the gap between sports and community um, and using like a business, you know, fine tuning a business acumen in, in, in order to do that. I was an assistant coach at my former high school for a couple of years and I became an assistant coach at a school in Dallas. Um, where I was really just trying to find my footing. It was in Dallas where I worked at a um, financial company as an admin assistant. And, you know, my boss was like, hey, it kind of feels like you don't want to be here. Um, you know, if you're going to be here, you need to be able to put all of your energy into this or we're going to give the job to somebody who will. However, I do feel like you have more to offer the world. I feel like I'm going to turn on the TV and see you on TV one day. And wow. you clearly like this basketball thing. Cause I was an assistant at Prestonwood Christian Academy in Dallas at that time. And I looked at her and I, and I, so she's such a huge part of my story because she ignited a fire in me that, you know, I knew was there, but I needed just a little push. And so I was like, you know what? You're right. I quit. And so I, I ended up, she looked at me like, oh, because I didn't have any say. I had a two-year-old son. I had no savings. I had my backup plan was literally just my let me just do what I love. If I do, if I focus on doing what I love and spend time doing that, I'm sure I can make more than what I'm making here, which was like $15 an hour yeah. before taxes. Um, so she was like, When do you want your last day to be? And I said, tomorrow. Cause she would have let me, like, if I wanted to say three months, like, great. But I said tomorrow because I knew I needed something to push me. Right. Like I needed something to push me. So I you had um, nothing lined up. I had nothing lined up. Nothing <laughs> like I had like I had relationships, though. You know yeah. what I mean? I had relationships. I had an idea like I had. I it wasn't it wasn't blank slate, but I didn't have like another job opportunity. I didn't have like I didn't. My business wasn't a business yet, but I had relationships and I had an idea. And um, so I, I left and because it's sink or swim at that point. I reached out to a couple of my connections and one of which was um, Julius Randall's family members mm -hmm. who were part of our Prestonwood family. 
and I guess he went to Prestonwood and he was looking for a publicist. And I had some knowledge in that space because I had volunteered in that space for a couple of years. And, you know, his family gave me a shot and they're like, look, he needs a publicist. He's coming out of Kentucky this year. And, you know, boom. So here I got a retainer, a monthly retainer of twice what I was making while I was at Northwestern Mutual. And that was within two weeks. Wow. So within six, within six weeks, I now was representing the sixth, the over the seventh overall pick of the NBA draft who went to the LA Lakers. Yep. So I'm learning as I'm going, like I'm learning with Julius. I'm learning with his family. I'm, you know, just, just learning, just le- learning and doing at the same time or learning by doing. Yeah. Talk about so a whirlwind up- and you still have, you know, your kid at home that you- my baby i know so <laughs> yeah. my baby so it ended up being very divine because you know him him going to play for the lakers kind of gave me this added incentive to um move back to california where my family was because i didn't have support with my son so while i was at the financial company you know i had my son but i was also being i was also an assistant coach at preston with that march we had just won a state championship so even from a basketball coaching side like i was still doing really well on that side too like oh this is cool I like this but my son was so young I was a single parent I knew that I didn't want to work for anybody and so like I loved my freedom I yeah. love my freedom so and I know that my son needed me to be more present um I didn't want him to be at a daycare from 7 a.m to 7 p.m while I worked for somebody else you know being an entrepreneur would allow me to to be more present for him so I ended up moving back to LA and my business took off and I didn't work for anybody and even now like I work for somebody I'm a basketball coach right but I didn't get into coaching full-time until eight years after that yeah not even that I would say six I would say six years after that I just worked for myself I didn't and even then I made the decision to get into coaching full-time so that's that's been that's where I'm at now wow that's amazing um yeah my my brother-in-law played for a uk and um one of his years uh he played with uh, julius randall so that's a that's another little connection that we that we share but also um what i like about that is so going back to your playing days you know you you said that you you needed someone in college to see that you were hurting and it seems like your boss you know could see that you were you know a little bit checked Mm. out a little bit checked out and that so it seemed like Later on in life, she was able to provide that push that you needed, you know, back in college. Mm, that is a great observation. I never connected those two. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. What what was it about her you think that, you know, made made her push you? Um, or like or like what did she see in you? Yeah, so I had went to her earlier when I was working there. And this is so funny because I important for listeners to know I was never at a job longer than like four months so it it felt like forever but I'm just one of those people that like needs to work just needs to work for myself like that's just I'm just one of those people yeah and um so I went to her probably about a month into my position and I had this idea I had this idea to do a three-on-three you know in in in-house basketball tournament that I would basically run and host but it would be hosted by the company they said yes. They gave me free reign to do it. I organized the whole thing. It was a success. It, it moved the needle in more ways than one. We were able to donate to charity. It was just like, it was a success. And that, and she saw the passion and she saw the passion in me while I was doing that event. Mm-hmm. I did not have that same passion sitting behind the desk, you know, doing whatever was asked of me in that particular role. And she saw that. Right. Um, and so she was able to, she definitely, to your point, she was able to give me that extra push that I needed. Um, Cause who's to say that I would not have stayed longer than I was supposed to, or that it would have ended badly. She gave me an opportunity to make the choice for myself and supported me um, either way. So definitely she is a, she is a key contributor to my story, no doubt, but I appreciate you pointing that out. Yeah. That's crazy how she noticed that passion and then end up pushing you. Cause you know, like when you get into the professional world and start working for corporate, like, I tell a lot of young people that like these people sometimes really don't care about you. Like as long as you're showing up and punching the clock, like they don't really want to notice the other things that you're you're doing. So for someone to see that in you and then push you towards that, I think that's, I think that's everything. Yes. Agreed. So uh, talk about your, your, your current, um, when did you get the head coaching position and um, is it a high school? And um, yeah, just talk about your current, 
your current uh, coaching position? Yeah. So I currently am the head girls basketball coach at Winward School in L.A. It's a private school. Um, it is definitely known for its girls basketball, girls and boys basketball, but it's really known for its girls basketball. We've produced pros um, like Jordan Canada went to, I don't know if you know who she is, but she went to Winward. Charisma Osborne's at UCLA. She went to Winward. But we've had a long lineage, like the history of girls basketball there is really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I got that this year in April. Uh, the, the past two years, I was the head coach of Detroit Country Day in Detroit, um, where, where we did really well. And that's, this, so this is actually just my third year as a head coach. And then prior to this, um, I was an assistant at the Division One level at Cal State Northridge. Um, and then before that, I was a full-time entrepreneur. So it really is my fourth year as a, as a full-time coach, um, but that's where I'm at now. When you were at uh, Cal State, did you did you still do the, your um, business on the side or were you primarily full-time coach? Um, primarily full-time, but my business on the side is, is it's an embodiment of who I am. So I tell people like, I always do it, right? So yeah. even if, let's just say my business isn't scaling to a multi-million dollar corporation today or what have you. It is my natural ability to connect people and to lead with innovation and, and strategically put together partnerships that can help others scale. That is what my business is, but that is who Jerrica is. So always, always there's something on the side. So I say that basketball in terms of like, how much time I spend, you know, X's and O's. Like, I'm always learning. I'm in the gym learning from coaches. I'm all like, uh, coaches get tired of me calling them, asking them questions. They don't because they love it, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, But I always say, like, basketball in terms of time, I spent, you know, an hour and a half on, on the phone with one of my players yesterday, not talking really about anything basketball related, right? But yeah. just getting to know my my player and be able to give her what she needed in that moment basketball is a small part of what I do, but it's a, it makes the biggest impact. The vessel that it is allows me to, to, to make the biggest impact, but the stuff quote unquote on the side, I feel like is what I do the majority of the time, just because it's who I am. And on the side could mean, you know, I'm working with the people at my actual job as well, doing these things or my players or what have you, but just being who I am is my business. Um, So I'm always doing that. Yeah. Basketball changed both of our lives. Uh, it definitely changed mine. And from your story, it's it's changed yours. And then as a, as a head coach, I want to transition into the life part of the podcast. And so like when you, as a coach, what are some of the, what are some of the nuggets that you try to um, impart on your players and not, not, not necessarily from the basketball standpoint, but from a life standpoint, like how do you get your players to understand, you know, the impact that basketball can have on their lives outside of the game? Yeah, good question. Um, The impact that basketball can have on their lives outside of the game. Uh, I'll use like my most recent conversation as an example. Can you still hear me? Yep. Okay, cool. Um, My most recent conversation as an example, (sighs) you know, for young women especially, it's about, and this is just people, but for young women, especially it's about self-worth and confidence. Mm -hmm. And like I said earlier, we tend to measure ourselves by our performance, not giving ourselves enough credit that you're not including every aspect of the performance. Like if you're going to do that, then let's do it correctly. Like, right. Let's wait, let's weigh everything. Um, And also understanding that comparison is the thief of joy. So I see how performance anxiety can really negatively affect our development as people and our sense of self-worth self-worth so i feel like it's what i've been chosen to do it's a part of my responsibility it takes extra work no doubt but it's part of my responsibility to help them see who they are um to see the best versions of themselves how to one work to continue being the best version of themselves right like have you, are you making this decision as the highest version of yourself right now? Or are you making this decision from a lower level of frequency? Yeah. Or do we not know who this, do we not know who we are yet? And how do we get there? Um, and understanding that, oh, it actually takes work. It takes mental work. It takes internal work to be able to have that sort of level of mental stamina and discernment 
especially as a teenager, but as an adult, you know what I mean? So I want to prepare them um, for just continual growth. So I use the terminology of, are you an asset or a liability? And in what ways, right? So what are the ways that you are an asset to your team? That could be rebounding, that could be communicating, that could be, when I asked my team that question, all of them gave me intangibles. All of them gave me communication, um, effort, right? Things you can't really see on paper. Right. Um, but when I asked for liabilities, it was all tangible things. Oh, I, you know, I'm, I don't rebound well. I don't shoot well. I don't. So they're measuring themselves negatively based on performance. Mm-hmm. And so my job as of late, and this is always evolving, but this is just, you know, more, more recent on my heart having them separate that element of performance with their self-worth, right? That the performance is just part of the process and should be something that should, should be uncomfortable because you should be uncomfortable and be required to reach and push yourself and all of those things. Sure. But at the end of the day, it should never overpower who you are at your core and your identity. Um, And I think that when you know who you are at your core and your identity, Everything else, no matter whether you're a parent, you know, a work in a front office position, a friend, a father, whatever the case may be, everything falls under your sense of value and identity. Uh, you know what I mean around who you are as a person. So that's that's how I try to, you know, bridge those things. So it sounds like I need to move to the West Coast and have my daughters play for you. That's oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I received that. I received that. They are no, welcome. No, and I feel like, you know, as I think about my playing career and just the other players that I've mentored over the years, whether it's been at my um, college or former high school, I feel like now, now to, uh, nowadays in 2022, you know, there is the emphasis on building up the person and not just the player. When I feel like when we were growing up, you know, it was a more rigid um, focus on developing the player, not necessarily the person. Um, yeah, because even like in my household, like I wasn't allowed to necessarily express my feelings or um, anything like that. But like, I feel like nowadays these kids need that, that, that push that like, hey, your all your identity and self-worth doesn't come from basketball. Like you want to get better. You want to succeed. You want to put the time in and there's reward on the on the back end of it. But this can't be all your identity, because like you said, because then, you know, at a certain point you will get distracted and the tough times right. will come within the game. And so it's those little things that you can take away from who you are as a person first that you can really use in life, I think. Right. Agreed. Totally agreed. Well, this is this has been an awesome conversation. I want to respect your time. Um, I really appreciate you uh, responding to my message. And yeah, this is, this is exactly the conversation I was hoping to have. Um, I wish you much success. I appreciate you being on my platform. You have any other um imparting wisdom you'd like to like to drop uh do i have any imparting wisdom funny i've been challenged to do this recently like what are you leaving people with right um i would say and even for you as well you know the concept of leadership is so heavily talked about now right like what kind of leader are you are you everybody wants you know like everybody wants to be a leader with how do you lead? What is leadership to you? And, um, you know, just remembering that we're always evolving. And one of the things that I like to say, I mean, I say this all the time is like our ceilings become our floors. Mm. Right. And yep. so to know, right. Like that's what I feel like I would want people to remember. Cause I feel like we can be consumed with thinking there's a, there's a cap, right. That I don't have enough time that I'm going to outgrow this, or I'm at this job and I'm not feeling, you know, fulfilled anymore. And we can check out at that point, but to remember that like, that's fine. That means you hit this particular ceiling, but now you're, now you are at a floor and you have a whole bunch in front of you. You know what I mean? You can, you can ascend differently now um, as you continue to evolve. Uh, and so that's just, that's just a tidbit that I would love for our, you know, our people, you know, people in general to remember as they navigate life. Yeah. And I, I think in my personal life, that's something that I've experienced over the last year. Um, I've become a runner in the last two years. And I remember when I started running, you know, like 
one mile was a challenge, you know, now fast forward, mm-hmm. you know, almost two years, I ran a marathon this year. And then like a, a couple of weeks ago, I ran in a race that was 32 miles. And now I'm looking at a 50 mile race. And so, like you said, wow. like, you know, like my, my ceiling used to be two or three, you know, miles. And now my floor is like 25 <laughs> And so, right, right, exactly. And so, congratulations on that. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate that. But yeah, I love that. And um, I never, I never thought about my running as being something, something that I'm that I'm experiencing with that. But hey, I appreciate your time, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Jerrica Williams, uh, former player, outstanding coach, great mom, great person, great conversation um, between the game and life. I really appreciate it, Jerrica. Thank you.